I'm excited about, about this study, about going through Genesis together. Um, I've had a number of people uh, come up after the service last week and, and this week talking and stuff and just uh, with some really good questions, tough questions about how, how do we understand what these passages actually say and, and, and can, we, can we trust that, that this is truly how it happened and how, how does that fit with the... the the interpretation that, that there is from, from the world of science today, that uh, how, how do these connect together? Let me just say, I love those questions. Um, and, and we need to have those kinds of conversations. If there are things that I say up here that you kind of go, that's nuts. I would love to hear that from you. Um, and, and, and to be able to engage in the conversation. I am by no means an expert in all of these things. Um, and so by, by investigating these together, I know that we're going to come up with, with good answers together. Um, and I suppose it's also very possible there are going to be some things that we're going to kind of go, I don't know. <laughs> but it's okay not to know. Um, as I said last week, we are. Uh, my intent is to to follow the authority of what Scripture has to say to us, and um, and I I firmly believe that when we are there, and when we trust that, that as we look at the world around us, at the universe that we live in, um, and we investigate and we seek to understand more and more what we see in the world is going to line up with what we see here in Scripture. Um, i got to say that is happening already. Um, there, we, we've gone through an age here in, in history um, where the, the denier of God as creator has been very strong. And the investigation of science and, and those kinds of things, a, a lot because of the... the uh, The, what's the word? What's the right word? The bias, uh, the assumptions that people make, the, the, the commitment that, that so many within the scientific world have had to there being no supernatural at all. Um, and the, the, the commitment to, to only seeing what is available to us in the natural world. That has, has uh, skewed much of what we understand about origins. Today, as, as technology has developed, um, as our ability to be able to see further into, uh, yeah, both further into the cosmos as well as deeper into the microscopic, more and more we are discovering that the answers continue to point back to an intelligent designer a creator God that has made all of these things. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit this morning. So uh, all of that to say, um, if you have questions, and if you don't, you're not listening. <laughs> but if you have questions, as you have questions, talk with me, talk with others. Let that be a, uh, a springboard for you to go and investigate more on your own, to, uh, to look and try and find answers. I guarantee you that in time, 
God will reveal that to you in the way that He wants to. So this morning, we are back in Genesis chapter 1. We've got a really long reading to do here this morning. Genesis chapter 1. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's as far as we're going to get this morning. Because there is so much to talk about in just that very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to have confidence that, that we know that this universe had a beginning. First of all, because Moses told us that it did. He said, in the beginning. There was a time, no, there wasn't a time. I've been trying to figure out how to be able to say this properly. There was an, an eternity. That's maybe a better way. There was, an, there, was, there was a point, not even a point. Time hasn't always existed. There was a time when time had a beginning. There is an inextricable link between time, space, and matter. You cannot have one without the other two. You can't have time if there is no space to measure time. You can have no time if there is no matter to, to actually experience that age. If, there is, if there's no one there to be able to see the passage of time, there is no time. Uh, just as there is no space if there is no time. Because where, when would space be? When would it have been created? There has to be time in order for there to be space. There has to be space in order for there to be matter. All of these three come into existence all at once right here in, in the beginning. And so we can have confidence that there was a beginning, first of all, because God said there was. But that's not the only place that we have to look to understand that this universe had a beginning. You see, the, the, the laws of nature demand that this universe is not infinite. The laws of nature, uh, there are a number of, of laws of nature that we could look at, but, but probably the most significant is the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, the laws of thermodynamics tell us that, that in a closed system, and, and we consider a closed system to be anything that doesn't have any input of new energy into it. So in a closed system, like our universe, in a closed system, um, energy is neither created nor destroyed. So, so what was it, whatever is within that closed system remains that same amount of energy within that closed system. You never, act, you never create more just on itself without some force or some, some uh, uh, a process that would add new energy into that system. Neither can you destroy that energy. It will always exist. But that energy moves from a usable form to an unusable form, 
That's the second law of thermodynamics. It's called entropy. Uh, and, and what that means is that, uh, that energy is, is available to, to, to be used within that closed system, um, but it will, it will, as it is being used up, it will dissipate, seeking to find what's called a thermodynamic equilibrium. Where, where there is no more motion or no more energy. Let me, we're going to do a little bit of science class today. I, I hope you're all right with that. I've got a little ball here. This ball could be considered a closed system. As long as there isn't any other energy being added into it to, to keep it from, uh, from bouncing, um, but this is a closed system, and so all of the potential energy of this ball, by me holding up over the ground, is being contained. As soon as I release it, that potential energy becomes kinetic energy, where it actually begins to move and will fall and hit the ground. As a closed system, without me actually trying to bounce it any further, what is happening is all of the potential energy and kinetic energy as it starts to fall goes from that usable form of that kinetic energy and is being dissipated into all different other kinds of, of unusable forms of energy. There is the sound energy as it hits the floor. Those vibrations that it's making, that we all are hearing and our ears are recording as sound, is an energy that's part, it's taking away some of the energy of the ball actually dropping. So it's the sound energy that's happening there. There is a little bit of heat energy, a very little bit of heat energy, but as the ball compresses onto the ground, it is creating a little bit of heat. And so that potential energy of the ball falling gets dissipated into sound. It gets dissipated into heat energy that then gets absorbed into this very cold place. So that disappears very quickly. There is also a tiny bit of mechanical energy that is happening. You can, I can feel it when the ball hits the stage actually vibrates just a little bit in my feet. So the energy from the ball is being transferred into mechanical energy into the stage, which is making a little bit of vibration, but because of all of the other factors, that eventually gets dissipated into other um, unusable energy forms. There's a, you could, there's a few other things. There's elastic energy, a bunch of other different things that are happening here. But all to say, in this closed system, Eventually, it reaches thermodynamic equilibrium and no longer has any usable energy left unless we input new energy and I lift it up again and drop it once again. That's the same as our universe. There is a constant amount of energy that is available within this universe's closed system. And it is progressively moving that energy from a usable form, life, us, sunlight, and all the rest of that kind of stuff, that is slowly, I guess a word you could use is decaying into an unusable form. And at some point in the far, far, far distant future, our universe will reach a point of 
equilibrium. Thermodynamic equilibrium where there will be no more motion. Molecules will no longer move and we will reach a point of, of absolute zero where there is no longer any movement at all in our universe and there will be no more life and everything will be completely flat. If the universe was infinite, had no beginning, and has no end, we would have reached that point of entropy, of equilibrium, thermodynamic equilibrium, an infinite amount of time ago. We would not exist today if the universe had, didn't have a beginning. So one of the ways that we know that our universe has a beginning is because there still is usable energy. There still is life. And if it was an infinite universe, it would have reached thermodynamic equilibrium long, long ago. And we would not be alive today. We would not experience life. So, one of the first ways that we know that our universe has a beginning is because of the laws of thermodynamics. They demand that this, as a closed system, needs to be... Uh, needs to have had a beginning. Now, there are all kinds of different ways to try and explain that away that people are, are using these days. There, are, uh, there is talk of, of a, uh, 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 an infinitely expanding and contracting universe so that it goes through a process of a big bang and it expands to a point where then gravity all draws it back into an infinite singularity once again and then it again it explodes and expands and then comes back down and this has happened through an infinite past. The problem with that it still doesn't answer the question of the laws of thermodynamics. Just like a ball bouncing up and down, it can expand and contract, but each time it does, it loses and decays some of its energy from a useful to an unuseful form until eventually we again reach thermodynamic equilibrium. So that doesn't answer the question. There are others that have suggested something more recent that's coming up with, with quantum physics and string theory. They're talking about multiverses. They're talking about that, that our universe is not the only universe, but there are multiple universes outside of our universe. And there is a generator that creates all of these universes. And so even though our universe had a beginning, that, that this generator created these multiverses, um, there is outside of that this generator of multiverses. And so throughout that larger multiverse, that has lasted for infinity. Again, it doesn't answer the question of the laws of thermodynamics, the natural laws that say that that, that multiverse generator as a closed system, if it still exists within the natural world and is, and is bound by natural, uh, natural forces, the natural laws, it too had to have a beginning. Because if it hasn't, then it would have reached thermodynamic equilibrium long ago and would no longer be spitting out multiverses. 
The only way that you could suggest that is if that multiverse generator was somehow outside of the laws of nature. In other words, you would call it supernatural. God. So it doesn't answer the question. It doesn't satisfy um, the, the, the demands that our universe has a beginning. So there are the, the natural laws of this world that tell us that, that this universe has a beginning. We can also look at observational science. One of the things that, that we have discovered, it, it was uh, uh, Dr. Edwin Hubble years ago uh, discovered uh, what he called uh, the, the universe, the expanding universe. He discovered that as he was studying stars and seeing planets and galaxies far, far away, that, uh, uh, that there was a phenomenon that was occurring in the light that he was seeing that told him that those uh, galaxies and stars were actually moving away from us. And it was through, uh, th through his conversation with Albert Einstein, who at first believed that we lived in a constant universe that was not expanding. It was Dr. Edwin Hubble that, that showed Albert Einstein um, the, the, uh, the evidence that he was seeing, it was called redshift, and... Um, and revealed, and, and, and uh, Albert Einstein had to agree that we do indeed live in an expanding universe. What is redshift? Can you get me back on the... There we go. So redshift, it, it, it builds off of the, the idea that light travels in a wave. And waves, whether it is a light wave, whether it is a sound wave, uh, whether it is a water wave, all acts in the same fashion. We can understand light waves by looking at waves in the water. We look at this picture and we see this duck. Can anybody tell which direction this duck is traveling? Or do you think that this duck is stationary? We know that it's traveling. How do we know that it's traveling? It's got the waves behind it. How do we know which direction it's traveling? That's because the waves at the front of the duck are all squished up together, are all stacked together, and it is the waves in the back are spread out. So we know that in anything that creates a wave, when it is in motion, the waves at the, at the front of the, that are in the direction of travel will be short and stacked up. Their frequency will be much shorter, will be um, a, a, a much higher frequency, whereas the frequency from behind it to show which way that it is coming from will be spread out um, and uh, a, a, great, a, a lesser frequency that is happening. So, so that's... That's called the Doppler effect. Um, the Doppler effect is also what we, how we experience sound. That sound difference is sound traveling in a wave, and, and the higher pitch of it as it is moving towards us is those waves stacked up at a higher frequency, and that's why it makes the higher sound. As it passes us, we are now hearing the spread out waves from the sound, and uh, because it is traveling away from us, 
And so it makes that lower pitch. So water waves act that way, sound waves act that way, light waves act the very same way. And what that call that's the redshift. So we know that in the visible light spectrum that we can see, um, the let me make sure I get this right. The highest frequencies, so the shortest um, uh, frequencies that are out there, come across to us as blue light. And so when we see blue things, that is the shortest frequency of light waves that are uh, being bounced off of whatever it is blue that are coming back to our eyes that are registering that. Whereas the longest waves, the, the ones that are spread out, are the red waves, so the infrared and, and all that kind of stuff. So what Edwin Hubble discovered was when he was looking at, at, at objects that were at great distance from us, he was seeing that the light that was being emanated from them was coming up more red, and there were only a few places where he would see the blue. So this is a, a picture of our uh, um, part of the Milky Way galaxy. And you will notice that the majority of the, the, the light that we can see here through, and I don't know if this is, does it tell us what, telescope. I don't know if this is Hubble or something else. A anyway, the majority of the light that is coming through is red. That means those planets, those galaxies, all of those sources of light are moving away from us. There are only a, a very few that are blue that are moving towards us. So what that tells us is that we live in a, in a universe that is expanding is getting further away. Not only are those planets and, and, and suns and, and galaxies moving away from us, but actually what they've discovered is space itself. They are in motion away from us, but space itself is being stretched. And we're going to be talking more about that as we come to some other points in, in this whole uh, Genesis saga. But it's kind of like... Uh, Walking in the airport on the, the moving sidewalks, the person is walking on it and they're going at that speed, but because the sidewalk is also moving, they're walking at a much greater pace. So it's being stretched. So if you're on the other, uh, other sidewalk going in the other direction, you pass each other, your, your apparent speed is much greater than just walking on itself. That's what's happening here with our universe. So this idea of redshift, the, the, the assumption from that, that that Edwin Hubble posited, if the universe is expanding, that means if we go back in time, it was constricting. And it was him... Is it him or somebody else? I'm sorry. I'm, I think there was actually somebody else that, that posited this idea that, that if you follow that back in time, the expansion of the universe back in time, it all comes to an infant singularity, a place where all energy comes into one spot, and that's where we get this idea of this big bang. Well, it was because of this big bang, the universe was spreading out. Now, one of the things that as you read the literature, is, is that more and more uh, uh, scientists are 
dissatisfied with the explanation of the Big Bang because there's a lot of things about it that just don't fit, that don't fit the natural laws. And, and so there's always, there, over the last number of years, there's been a lot of revisiting of trying to explain what exactly the Big Bang and whether it was actually a Big Bang or if there was some other beginning point to our universe. But what this does establish through observational science is that we do live in an expanding universe, which means that our universe had a beginning. Just like God told us. We can even talk about it philosophically. Take it all like this. Philosophically, something cannot come from nothing. Uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, shoot, I'm forgetting all everybody's names here today. Uh, William Craig, William Lane Craig, has, has uh, re, reintroduced the, the idea of, or the, the concept of uh, Callum's cosmological argument. And it goes something like this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Um, in all of our study, in, in all of our experience, in all of our investigation of this world, there has never been a, a, a situation that is observed where, where there was nothing and then suddenly something appeared. We know the, the, the laws of nature do not allow that, 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 that something cannot come from nothing. So therefore, since there is something, we are something, the world is something, therefore, it must have a beginning and it must have a cause. And, and what that leads us to say is that, that there must be a cause that is somehow outside of the natural Something that is supernatural, that is not bound by time or space or matter, and is, is not bound by the natural laws because it doesn't exist in the natural laws. It, it has to be able to exist outside of the natural laws. And that's where we have God. So we know that our... We know that our universe had a beginning... Sorry. So why then do, do scientists talk about these billions and billions of years? Where all does that come from? Um, they might uh, uh, assent to the fact that yes, indeed, our, our universe did have a beginning, but it began billions and billions and billions of years ago, not at all like what the Bible has said, where 
anywhere, the, the, the estimates by based on what, what Scripture says, anywhere from ten to 6,000, maybe even as low as, I think some might say as low as 4,000 years ago. Um, it's pretty rare that anybody does that. But around 6,000 years, maybe as much as 10,000 years ago, that, this, that, the, that the world was created, that the universe began to exist. Why billions of years? Well, uh, it, it comes down to what, what you would, what they term the, make sure I get this right because I always add way too many syllables onto this. Uniform, uniformitarian theory. Uniformitarian theory. That's the theory that, that the natural world is bound by the physical processes that we see today. Uh, that, that those natural processes have always existed, have always progressed the way that, that they progress today. And so we can make assumptions, we can make investigations about what happened in the past based on what we see happening in the natural world today. Um, so, uh, so we could look across the Strait of Georgia and look at the beautiful coastal mountains that are over there. And, and, and uniformitarian uh, theory would say that because tectonic plates that, that are in this area move at about a little bit less than an inch every year, then in order for those tectonic plates to crunch into each other, to push up in, in such a way that, that those mountains would have been established, we're looking at like 100,000 years at least that, that, that must have taken place for those mountains to be created in the way that, that, that we see them. Um, star formation. Uh, you look at, 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 at our universe and you look at stars and there are some amazing places. And, and I, the, I love the pictures that they have on, on NASA's website and on, on Hubble's website of, of things that they see in, in deep space. It's absolutely stunning, the, the beauty that is out there. This is what we can see of our Milky Way. And if we zoom into one particular area of this, we come to the Eagle Nebula. Nebulas are where stars are formed. And as you continue to zoom into the Eagle Nebula, we come to this place, what they call the Pillars of Creation. Isn't that amazing? Unbelievable beauty that is out there. I don't know, some of you have probably seen, there's some that it's, it's called the, the, the Finger of God. It looks like a, a hand of, and what this is is dust and gases that are collected together in these nebula. Uh, there's that one that is like a big horse head. It's absolutely gorgeous, stunning stuff. But here in these nebula, that's where stars are born. Um, humans have never actually, at least I was trying to look and see if, if there's any record of actually seeing a star be born. But, but what we have seen and what we can see is stars at all different ages or stages of life. So we can see stars as they are, are dying. We can actually see stars that have died, uh, that have turned into quasars and into black holes and all those kinds of things. Um, here, when we look into uh, nebula like this, we see the, the development of stars, that it's here in this place and 
all of this dust and gas as it's swirling around and, and gravitational forces start working on it, that, that some of that, that dust it gets drawn together and starts uh, uh, creating more of a gravitational pull of itself and drawing more and more dust in so it, it builds up more and more and as that pressure continues to build, it, it generates great heat and eventually through that whole process over, they estimate probably about 10 million years, a star is formed out of this nebula. And so the pillars of creation have a number of places where they are identifying that, that stars are being formed, are beginning to, to grow, and they're able to identify those at different stages uh, of a star's life. <clears throat> And so they look at this and they say, well, if it takes 10 million years for a star to, to be actually birthed, and you look at, at the mind-boggling amount of stars and galaxies that there are in our universe, that's where they say it must have taken billions and billions of years for all of those to form, to get to a stage, not just where they're birthed, but where they have come to, a, 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 to their death of a star and have turned into black holes and, and quasars and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And so this uniformitarian theory says that because we've seen how, how these processes take place, that means our universe must be of great, great age in order for it to explain all of the diversity and all of the breadth and everything else that we see in here. But that's assuming that process, the natural processes in our universe have indeed progressed the way that they had. And, and, and when exactly all of that started... The Bible tells us a different story. That there was a moment in time when God created time, when God created space, when God created matter, where He spoke a beginning into place, where He intervened in the, the nothingness of nothing and created the heavens and the earth. And he intervened at that point, and, and, and over those six days of creation, he continued to intervene, he continued to refine. And we're going to be talking about this next week, uh, about how, how, how the earth started off uh, a formless and void, empty, uninhabitable, no place for human life. And over the next six days, God continued to, to, to speak out reality into our into our world, into our universe, until we have the wonder of all of this that we have today. There is no natural process that is at work today that, that we would be able to then assess what God did in those six days over creation. And so that sorry, uniformitarian theory falls short because it doesn't recognize the supernatural interaction. Not only did God involve himself in our world at that six-day period, but he has also been active in our world so that, that we have record of Noah's flood, 
which dramatically impacted the face of the earth and, and, and has created much of what we see in that today. And we're going to eventually get to Noah's flood at, at, uh, at some point. So how did God create? Over and over again throughout Scripture, we discover that phrase or, or, or that idea that God created out of nothing. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to get back to the Bible now. Romans chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. This is part of Paul's uh, 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 description of the faith of Abraham, of, of how God was working through his family, um, of how God had called him and, and uh, uh, promised him that he would become the father of man, many nations. Um, Romans chapter 4, and let's start reading a verse uh, do I want to go to 16? Let's go, yeah, let's go to back to, to 16 just to kind of get a little bit of context here. Verse 16 of chapter 4. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and here it is, calls into existence the things that do not exist. So when God created, it wasn't that there was already substances that were there that he then shaped into creation. There was nothing. There was no time. There was no space. There was no matter. And God spoke it into being, and it was. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Another place that we can see that is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Again, this truth that God created those things, uh, that He was able to create something out of nothing because He isn't part, He isn't bound by the natural processes, but He is above and over all of those processes and able to control them with His whim. So God is our creator. He is that uncaused cause. And as creator, we worship him. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 33. And this is really the crux of all of this. Psalm chapter 33. We're going to read just the the first nine verses here. Psalm 
Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I, am I reading 32? I'm sorry, that's why it doesn't make sense. Let's try that again. It's good stuff though. You should read that sometime. I did that last week too. Okay, here it is. This is 33. I'm sure of it now. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His works is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Here we go. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and puts in the deep in storehouses. So let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Because God is Creator, He alone is worthy of our worship. Because He is the source of all things, including the source of us, He alone is worthy of our praise. And I don't know about you, but as I look around at what God has made, the beauty of of things that that human eyes have not seen through all of creation until these last hundred years or so, the the depths that we are able to see, the beauty, uh, not only in the the reaches, the far reaches of space, but even into the the depths of the ocean, even into the minutiae of of the microscopic and in in the the level of of atomic, of, of atoms. The beauty and the wonder that is there leads me to say, God, you are amazing. You are wonderful. So it's because God has created that He is worthy of our worship that we direct our worship towards Him. But also, because He is Creator, He has authority over all things. He gets to determine the purpose for what He has created. Read that again here. Uh, make sure I get the right chapter again. Verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. That's one of the reasons why oftentimes our conversations with people who are not followers of God, 
why those conversations get very frustrated as we try and talk about the beginning of things. Because they refuse to worship God, to acknowledge that He is the Creator, and they, probably more significantly, they refuse to put themselves in submission to His authority. Uh, that's what Paul wrote about in Romans, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. They did not submit to His authority. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor did they give thanks to Him. They refused to worship. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God with images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, we live in a world that think they understand how things all got started. Because they refuse to worship God, because they refuse to be in submission to God, they come up with all kinds of things that they call wise, string theory, multiverse, all the rest of that kind of stuff, as ways to try and explain. But, but as you look at it, you recognize that, that it falls short because it goes outside of the laws of nature. And so claiming to be wise, they actually become fools. And, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God to the, for the images of man and, and birds and forces. They, they looked to natural processes as God, as the thing that they submit to. And that's why our conversations often go, go very wrong, because they refuse to acknowledge who God is. They refuse to acknowledge His authority over Him. So I ask, why would we, if, if that's the case, why would we ever borrow their ideas of millions and billions of years to try and make the gospel somehow more palatable to them? Why would we deny what God has said is the process of, of how things were created and instead try and, and fit it in with this idea of, of natural processes creating everything that we have? See, all that we do when we, when we make that kind of concession is we, we feed that refusal to acknowledge God. And and. and, and I understand, you know, I, I've read a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, um, uh, of books and, 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 and information from those that are, that are Christians, sincere believing brothers and sisters, that, that I don't have any doubt of their faith, but they've bought into this idea of billions of years because they thought 
that if they don't, it makes them look foolish. If they, if they try and stick with, with what the Bible actually says, with, with the processes that it actually literally lays out for us of how the universe was created, they are afraid that they will somehow look foolish, ignorant, uneducated, and they won't ever have an opportunity to have a voice, a, a, an opportunity to speak to other people. They, they'll just get ignored. And yet exactly the opposite is going to happen. Because all we're doing is feeding into that idea that there is no God, that He doesn't need to be worshipped, that His purposes uh, are not supreme over all of ours, and, and, and we just give people more of an excuse not to trust in God. See, I don't think that we should be ashamed of the truth of what God has revealed to us here in Scripture. And I think more so it's probably the more effective way of helping people discover who God is and who Jesus Christ is in their lives if we give them what the Bible actually says about how God created everything. If we stand fast on these, even though it doesn't necessarily make sense because it doesn't follow natural processes. Yaha! It doesn't. It's supernatural. It is the hand of God, the miraculous hand of God, who with His great power in six days was able to create this amazing universe with all of its diversity. Even just this world is unthinkable that, that all of that could happen in, in six days. But to, but to then blow it up, have, oh man, I'm sorry. Have you seen the, the pictures of the Hubble Deep Space Field? It's, it's this one point right around the Big Dipper that, they've, that they over, over a, a series, I forget, I think it was like six months, they focused the, the Hubble Space Telescope towards this one little area that f- as far as we could see is just blank space. A- and they focused it in and, on, and over that six-month period allowed the, the light, the very dim, dim light that was there to be able to be captured onto their, onto their uh, film or whatever, whatever, however they captured onto the the picture and they come up with this picture on this little teeny it's like this about that big little area of space and over that time the picture that came up there are thousands of stars thousands of galaxies in this little spot this little teeny spot that looks as far as we can tell is absolutely blank dead space And God made all that. Spoke it out, and it came to be. <laughs> when I think of that, and I, I look at the wimpy problems that I have in my life, why would I worry? A God that can do that can certainly deal with the issues that I'm facing in my life. What a far better testimony to talk about that God, that process for how our world was created. That's the hope that people need. Not that it happened over millions of billions of years that God wound up the clock and then just let it run. No. He loves you. 
He has a plan for you. He has created this vast universe so that you can experience His love and His grace. There's no greater testimony that we can share with our world. Young people, <laughs> don't be afraid of science. Yes, it's going to be a hard road as you, as you immerse yourself in, the, in, in the, 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 the education, the universities, the, the, the programs that deal with those kinds of things, you're going to face all kinds of attacks and all kinds of uh, criticisms and ridicules that, that you are somehow ignorant or, or, or foolish or all those kinds of things. But don't give up on it. The fact that that the, the greatest scientists that began the whole scientific process in the first place had their Bible in one hand as they were looking into the universe to try and understand how this was being translated into what they saw around us. That the only reason that they could investigate this universe, this world, our, our bodies, was because they believed that a, a God had created it with order, that, that it could be seen and tested over and over and over again. We need young people who hold fast and stand firm on their commitment of, this, of the Scriptures to then be able to, to try and understand and explore how these Scriptures are being lived out in the world and the universe around us. This is a day and age where there is more and more technology and more and more progress in the scientific investigation that are proving that this is true. There are more and more scientists at very high levels who are actually becoming followers of God because as they look at the evidence that's around them, the only explanation they can come up with is there is a God who has created it all. Parents, don't discourage your kids. Don't scare them off of, of investigating. Build with them a, a solid foundation to be able to answer the attacks that they are going to come up against. Absolutely. But also, birth within them a curiosity to know, to see, to understand how all of, all of this that God has created can be seen and understood and explored in our world today. There is no greater testimony that we could have in our world than men and women, godly men and women who are committed to following Scripture are able to explain what is going on around us because of what God tells us here in Scripture. <laughs> For all the rest of us who are too dumb to even handle all of this stuff, to be able to figure all this out, let's continue to, to, to inspire, to explore, to birth that wonder of God's great creation. And let that, that then inspire us to worship our wonderful God who has built all of this for our good, for our blessing, to be able to know Him and to experience Him in ways that we never could. Let's, let's let our wonder of creation lead us into more and more worship of God and greater, greater submission to His authority, to following Him wherever he, was lead, where he would lead us, into whatever adventure that He would call us into. That's what our world needs. 
not trying to mix and, and, and harmonize the Bible with millions and billions of years. Lord, would you work in our hearts? <laughs> would you help us to stand firm on your word? Would you give us a, a curiosity and an intellect that was capable of understanding how our universe reflects what it is that you have revealed to us in Scripture? Would we be bold and confident in speaking the truth, even in the face of all ridicule, knowing that, that your truth will be substantiated over and over and over again? And that in our declaration of your truth, that others will discover life in you. Lord, we want to worship you. Would you soften our hearts to give you praise and worship as we, as we sit in awe and wonder of the world and the universe that you have created for us. We give you praise and glory and honor. Amen.